When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Raider Nation? Matt Holder here from Silver and Black Pride, bringing you another Behind Enemy Lines podcast. This week, I got my good friend Stephen Thomas over from CBS Sports to talk all things Cleveland Browns. Stephen, real quick before we get into it, why don't you go ahead and tell the people where they can find you? Hey, Matt, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, easiest thing to do is uh, um, uh, on Twitter, I'm at Browns Mock Draft. Um, that's the easiest place to find me because, you know, I have uh, little to no social life, so I spend a lot of time on Twitter. <laughs> so that's that's the easiest place to find me. But then, uh, you know, I write for we are on CBS Sports and the 247 Sports Network. But uh, the Orange and Brown Report, the uh, the is where all of my uh, draft and other Browns coverage is. So you guys come find me there. Say hi. Tell me I don't know what I'm talking about and join <laughs> the chorus. It'll be great. Awesome. Yeah. Make sure you give Steven a follow. Like I said, there's a lot of stuff with the, with the draft. So not just Brown's content, get some good content, maybe get some insights on some guys once we come to that part of the season. But first of all, we got to talk about this game on Saturday, Steven. And I always start these out by talking about the team as a whole and the Browns. They're interesting for a couple of reasons. For one, they finally got the monkey off their back last year and made the playoffs, even won a game against the Steelers and played the Chiefs tough. And they've been a good team this season. Um, the other reason why the Browns are interesting is because we have no idea who's going to play on Saturday with all the COVID issues. So I guess I have a couple of questions for uh, for you to cover on to cover all of our bases here. One, what are your thoughts on the Browns season as a whole so far and how confident are you heading into the team this weekend if they are shorthanded? Yeah, uh, speaking of the game this weekend, just just so you know, I might have to cut this short because I think I'm next uh, on Andrew Berry's call list to go play wide receiver. I think that's about <laughs> where, where they're at at this point. Um, but yeah, there's actually there's a, a lot of Browns fandom that would um, disagree with you saying they've been a good team this year. Uh, the, it's been just a war zone in Browns fandom for about <laughs> the past month or so because um, much like you guys have experienced uh, out there, the inconsistency and it's not. Yeah, it's all over the league. I mean, there's really no dominant right. teams this year. There's so many teams that are six or six and seven or seven and six that it's it's kind of baffling to me that people in Cleveland are so angry about a team that if they win this week could be leading the division and the four seed in the <laughs> AFC. But that's that's the way it is. I think it's it, it's an expectations thing. Um, and, you know, and anyone who's watched the, uh, you know, been a sports fan for more than five minutes knows it. It. it changes like a few years ago you know we went through that one and 31 and four and 44 stretch so we would have killed to be seven and six <laughs> um but this year after the year like you said that they had last year where they broke through and everything was so promising and then they had such a great off season and another good draft and everything everybody was expecting 12 you know maybe 13 wins and this and that and then for various reasons um obviously that has not come to pass they've lost a lot of games that they shouldn't have lost uh, you know, when you're expecting 12 and five, seven and six, a seven and six start uh, is frustrating and maddening. Um, but um, the, I think the most frustrating thing about it is that the Browns, there's so much talent uh, on the field and they show it to us in spurts, you know, like the offense will go out and 
you know, they put up 42 points against the Chargers. You know, they put up 31 against the Chiefs. They, you know, they'll go out for a half like they did last week and put up, you know, they were out to a 24 to three lead and then they'll just stop. They'll just stop playing. And, you know, they'll have games where they only score 10 against the Steelers and blow a game at home that there's no way they should have lost. And so, and the same thing with the defense, the defense has given up. I mean, in that game where they scored 42, the defense gave up 47 to the Chargers. Mm -hmm. Now the Chargers are a good offense, but you turn that around and, you know, they've basically shut down the Ravens two straight games. They only gave up 15 to the Steelers in that loss. They, you know, they've had really good games as a defense, but they can't seem outside of the game against the Bengals, they can't seem to put both of them together for an entire game. And that's what's frustrating because you know, it's in them. You, you know, they can do it. And there's just no consistent explanation as to why it keeps stopping. It's not like there's one thing that's wrong. I mean, you know, if there, if your quarterback play is terrible all the time, then, okay, you go out and address the quarterback position. If the, right. if the right side of your offensive line can't run block and always getting caved in and pass protection, you go out and you address the right side of the offensive line. But it's like every week and every drive, really, it, it they take turns. You know, the one game, the, 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 the wide receivers can't create any separation and they drop seven balls. And then the next game they're wide open, but you know, Baker has a bad game and can't, couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, <laughs> uh, you know, and then the game after that, you know, the defense gives up 40 points to a team. They shouldn't give up 40 points to. And it's, it's not one thing consistently, which is what makes it so frustrating. So, but as we've been saying, um, you know, up until about 24 hours ago when the COVID news started breaking, amazing and as frustrating as it's been all year, amazingly, everything they wanted is still right in front of them because if if they were to win this week and the Ravens lose to the Packers and they're currently, I think, a six and a half point underdog to the Packers, the Browns, like I said, would be leading the division and the four seed in the AFC. So, you know, it's, it's hard to be mad if that's still, <laughs> they don't quite, hundred percent control their own destiny, but it's pretty close. So uh, that's what I think is the most frustrating part is that we know it can be done and they just haven't done it. Now, as far as your second question this week, uh, it's what, just a little bit afternoon LA time here uh, that we're recording this. And as of this moment, like you said, <laughs> God alone knows what's going to happen on Saturday. I, we, uh, you know, uh, if, there are no more names added to the Browns COVID list in the next three days. And that is a very big if, because we know how viruses work, they spread. And so mm -hmm. the, I, in my opinion, the odds that this is it, that there's no more cases or anything like that in that are very low. But if this team that they're putting out there right now uh, is the one on Saturday, they have a chance. Um, it's less than ideal, obviously, but um, all the guys, they're not down to like street free agents anywhere. They, they've got their backups in and their backups for a reason, because they know they can play if they can, you know, step in for one game. And amazingly, and this is probably more of a question for you, Vegas still has, even with everything that's going on, the Raiders are only a one and a half point favorite in this game, which is just <laughs> astounding to me. Uh, but that's more, you know, uh, something you could answer um, as to why that is. But as far as how confident am I, I, after last year's playoff game where they were in a very similar situation on the road against the Steelers who have owned them for two decades. Yep. And then we all remember what happened. It was 28 to nothing before we all got settled into our first beer. Mm -hmm. um, you never know, but I would not put any money 
<laughs> on, <laughs> on either side at this point. Yeah. I, I have no idea what's going to transpire on Saturday, which in some ways is liberating as a fan. Cause like I said, you don't have those expectations. You're just like, well, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. It's, you know, you bring up the line and the Raiders only being a one and a half point favorite, despite, you know, the Browns lifting half their team. And I think it just speaks to how bad it's been in Las Vegas the last right. month and a half. I mean, you take away the Cowboys game, which isn't looking like an anomaly. And I mean, the Raiders, they don't even look like they're out there competing. I mean, last week they saw what happened when, they um, end up getting boat raced by the, uh, by the chiefs first right. play of the game um, end up being down, but it's funny. You brought up the, uh, the uh, inconsistency within the, with a lot of teams in the league and especially in the AFC. Cause I remember I was looking it up. I'm like, you look at the standings, the Raiders are only a game back of a, of a wild card right. spot right now. <laughs> Problem is there are five teams that are tied for the last two spots. And then there are two more teams that are six and seven. <laughs> So it's like, yeah, they're one game back, but eight eight teams back. It's it's just hilarious how many how the log jam of like five hundred teams have been this year, even on the NFC side of the side too. So interesting development this year. Yeah, it's uh, and and as far as projecting the AFC playoffs, I, I have pretty much the same attitude as I just said about the game. I mean, if 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 anyone out there is confident in which of these you know nine teams yeah. that are seven and six or six and seven are, are going to get hot and win enough games, then you're much smarter than I am because I <laughs> I have no idea you know yeah. and it's gonna it's obviously going to come down to tiebreakers for like at least two maybe all three of the wild card spots and if when yeah. you're talking about five or sixteen tiebreakers the head-to-head stuff probably <laughs> won't matter. So, I, you know, yeah. who knows what's going to unfold here over this final month or so of the season. Definitely. Well, you brought up Baker Mayfield's inconsistency in the, when you're talking before, and that was one thing I wanted to talk to you about. And I know he's tested positive and on the COVID list as of right now, but for a second, let's just assume that he has his two negative tests and he ends up suiting up on Saturday. Uh, I'm just curious, where ha- has it been that he's like struggled? Is it a certain defense that gives him trouble, a certain coverage, or is it just one of those things where you just literally never know what you're going to get from him and there's no rhyme or reason to it? Yeah, it, it's pretty much the same situation as um, I said about the team overall. Um, it's uh, it's a myriad of things um, with Baker. And, and it's not like – it's it, again, it, he hasn't been like terrible or anything. Like there are people in Cleveland, of course, uh, you know, in any NFL fan base, right. the backup quarterback is the most popular guy <laughs> on the team. As soon as anything goes wrong, that's just the way it is. Um, and they seem to forget, you know, everything that he's done for this team in the last three seasons. But uh, it's so many things, obviously, first and foremost, it, it's not an excuse but you cannot discount how beat up the guy is. I mean, he has a yeah. torn labrum in his non-throwing shoulder. He had a fractured bone in his left shoulder and played through that. He's got knee injuries. He's got foot injuries. He's got both ankles. It's, you know, and those sorts of things, not only do they, you know, are they painful and just a, you know, a horrible thing to have to go through when you're not playing football, but it also, you know, as well as I do, quarterback mechanics have to be pristine and repeatable and exact because especially in the NFL, the throwing windows are so small. So if, you know, let's say your foot, your, your lead foot is, you know, really injured and you can't really put, uh, put all your weight on it. And that's going to affect your arm angle, your arm slot, your throwing motion, and your uh, ultimately on the other end of the throw, it's going to affect your location. Now it might only affect it by six inches or so, but in the NFL, six inches is the difference between a yeah. touchdown pass, uh, an incomplete pass and a pick six. I mean, it's, it's that, you know, the throwing windows are so small. So Definitely. that has to be taken into account. That said, 
he has also had games where he misses, um, has missed a ton of easy reads and wide open throws, just airmail them. Um, and then, of course, like I said, too, there have been also times where he has hit his receivers in between the numbers and the ball hits the ground. It's so maddening because there's not one single thing that you can pin it all on. I, the overall question that we have been trying to answer as Browns fans, and you guys went through it a few years ago with David Carr, is his fifth-year option next year has already been picked up. Is he worth the big extension? Is, and, and, you know, where where in that extension? Is he, you know, closer to $40 million, you know, Deshaun Watson-type uh, money, or is he more of a $25, $30 million guy? And if they offer him that, would he take it? So, as far as his season this year, you look at his numbers and they're, you know, they're pedestrian. They're okay. Um, I think the biggest positive as far as, you know, this team is he doesn't have to be Patrick Mahomes if the offense is functioning the way that it should, because there are a lot of schemed open throws and schemed open plays where if you just see it and just make the play, that's in front of you, this offense is going to score points like they did last year. I mean, they were really humming the second half of the season last year, and he really didn't, you know, throw the ball all over the yard or anything. In, in this offense, if it's functioning properly, your quarterback has to make, I don't know, maybe four or five big throws, you know, important yeah. throws per game, and that's it. You know, he doesn't have to go out like Marino in the old days and go 40 out of 45 for, you know, 500 yards and six scores or anything like that. He's only got to manage the game, not turn it over and that kind of stuff. And there have been times when he hasn't been able to do that. And there have been other times where he has done that and the rest of the offense has let him down. So, but you know, all that being said, the quarterback, the glamor position in the NFL, when things go well, you get all the praise when things go wrong, you know, uh, stuff rolls downhill. I'll clean that up just slightly. Uh, <laughs> and it all rolls onto the quarterback's uh, shoulders. So it's hard to say last week he was against the Ravens, which are, you know, as beat up as they are still a very good, very well coached, very aggressive, very sound defense. The biggest thing that he did uh, was not turn the ball over. And if you can do that and the defense can play the way it is capable of playing and has been playing since they've started getting healthy the last month or so, then you have a chance to win a lot of games in the NFL. Can you win a championship? Yeah. That's a different story, but you can win a lot of games in the NFL. And so it's, I, I don't know. I, my guess is yeah. if you, if, if your follow-up was where, where do we stand on the Baker Mayfield <laughs> contract question, which I imagine it probably is. My guess at this point is they kick the can to next year because he's so injured this year. You can't really do a full eval, especially yeah. for the kind of dollars and commitment that you're talking about. He's already picked up his option. My guess is they let him come back next year. Hopefully knock on wood, fully healthy. If he balls out and has the year that we all thought he would have this year, then they'll give him the bag. If he doesn't, then they won't. And they'll you know try to figure it out again. But you know, that that's my guess at this moment uh, that they kick the can down the road with his uh, with his contract and uh, see what happens in 2022. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm definitely with you on that point. I'm, I'm a big Baker Mayfield fan. I really liked him coming out of Oklahoma and I've uh, been a big fan of his personalities. The uh, progressive commercials I love every time, they, every single Same. time they come on. So I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for him. But the other thing I think that uh, kind of I know I'm not breaking any news here with his injuries that I think has played a factor is like his ability to not be able to or maybe his comfortability running the ball a little bit, right? We talk about a, a, an injury to your non-throwing shoulder and think the first mind, thing that comes to mind is like, why would that matter? And like, 
But if you're a quarterback like Baker who likes to use his feet, maybe you're not as ad, you're more, you should say you're more adverse to, to pulling it down and running. So has that kind of affected him as well in, in your eyes? We haven't really seen it. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I agree with you in the, in the thought process, but he has run the ball a lot. Especially, okay. I mean, he ran it uh, a couple of times and took some big hits the week after he tore the labrum um, way back gotcha. when. And so it really hasn't affected him too much. Uh, the biggest thing, and our film breakdown guy at the OBR, uh, Jake Burns, is one of the best. And he played, you know, quarterback in college. So he, you know, I trust his reads and everything. The biggest thing with Baker this year is two, I think, the two biggest things in why he has, you know, taken a step back or flatlined or however you want to phrase it. Um, one, his deep ball accuracy, which for the first three years in the league was one of his calling cards. He was one of the best in the right. league. If he threw the ball 25 or more yards downfield, he was pinpoint accurate and he's been missing those, which is bizarre, which I think has to do with the injuries and all of the, uh, like I said before, the mechanics and stuff like that. that That's personally just my thing. But he's also just not seeing the field the way that he has in the past. I mean, we'll sit and watch, you know, uh, Jake does uh, all 22 breakdowns every Tuesday on our Twitch channel, and we'll sit and watch him. And it's like, he'll stop it and go, what, what are you looking at? He's right in front of you, and he's naked by five yards. And for some reason, you didn't even look at him. You know, he's not... And now without knowing the play calls and the progressions and all that kind of stuff, you can't get, you know, very specific on those kinds of things, but it happens over and over and over and over. And so that that's been, I think the most frustrating thing because, you know, just like I said, just make the the, the stuff that's schemed open for you. And, and we're having a totally different discussion. He probably already has his money at this point, but um, those are the two biggest things I think, um, you know, and of course the people around him have let him down on more than one occasion, uh, especially in the wide receiver room, but you know, uh, we'll see he's a battler and I'm with you. I've always liked, uh, you know, I don't mind brash. I don't mind cocky. I don't mind confident, but you know, if you're going to do that in the NFL, you better win some games. Cause (laughs) if if you're cocky and win, people think you're cool. If you're cocky and lose, then, well, you know, you see what's been happening lately. That's how it goes. Absolutely. Real quick before we move on, um, I just want to touch on the other side of the coin, which would be Case Keenum starting. Mm-hmm. I know you've seen one game at least this year with Case Keenum starting. So can you kind of just briefly touch on what Case Keenum would be bringing to the offense or what would be different about the offense with Keenum under center versus Baker? Um, the, the one thing I think, uh, the only major thing that I think uh, Baker brings that uh, Case really doesn't is, the like I said, the deep ball. The he deep does ball. not have... Yeah. He's not, he doesn't have a poor arm, but he doesn't right. have a rocket. He, you know, throwing a ball downfield or, or rifling it into a tight window over the middle, that kind of stuff. That's not his game. Um, so you would probably now with the state of their wide receiver room right now, they don't really have much deep threat anyway, but you wouldn't see as much of that as you would with, uh, with Case Keenum as you would with, uh, uh, with Baker in there. But at the same time, you know, he's a wily old 10 year veteran and, you know, maybe he will make those schemed open easy plays for him. And if they can do that and the defense can play, then, you know, they have a chance against, you know, like you said, a, a scuffling Raider team coming off. And, you know, I, we've all seen it, a, a beatdown, especially to a, a hated arch rival, like they took yeah. last week, it can do one of two things. They can either fold the tents mentally or they can, you know, come out swinging like, like a cornered injured tiger. And, you know, none mm-hmm. of us knows how that's going to happen and, until they take the field on Saturday. 
Definitely. Moving on to the receiving corps, uh, which is again going to be challenging with the COVID rules, but Jarvis Landry, one guy that's on the COVID list. So kind of a similar question to what I just asked, just with the with Jarvis, what would Cleveland's offense be missing with him, him in the lineup? And who would be the guy to replace Jarvis Landry if he's not able to go? The thing with Jarvis is he is such a veteran mentor uh, because the rest of the guys uh, in there, with the exception of Richard Higgins, are, are pretty young. They're very young. And he shows the guys uh, how to be an NFL receiver, uh, not only on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, which is at, you know one of the biggest differences between college and the NFL. You don't yeah. just go out and play because you're not 10 times the athlete as the guy across from you, like you are a lot of times in college. So um, also he is uh, very good. Uh, you know, there's a lot of misconception around the league that Jarvis is some deep threat. He's never has been, it, that's right. never been his game. He's not a huge athlete. He's not going to out athlete you. He's just extremely smart, a great route runner with good hands, knows where the sticks are, uh, works the intermediate and short areas of the field and is, was anyway, their third down guy, uh, you know, if it's third and six, you find out where 80 is and, you know, he's going to try to catch a ball seven yards downfield. Now, without him, it's going to fall heavily on Rashard Higgins uh, as far as that third down part, um, because he and Baker Mayfield have had some sort of weird connection um, for three years. He just always know he's one of those guys. He's for some reason, they just always know where each other is on the field. <laughs> We've all seen those kind of things with quarterbacks and receivers. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones has the ability uh, to be a big play guy, uh, both in the red zone and down the field. If Anthony Schwartz can come back from concussion protocol, and that remains to be seen, he is a deep, deep speed guy. That guy has Olympic sprinter speed. Um, Jamarcus Bradley, they just re-signed from the practice squad. You know, he's got some skills uh, and everything, but as everybody knows, the Browns offense uh, Kevin Stefanski's offense runs through their tight ends, and we just a little bit ago, just before we, you and I started recording David Njoku announced he was back, which was huge. Um, and there there's word that they might also get, excuse me, Harrison Bryant back. If they can get those two guys back, not only in the passing game, does that obviously help, but on the offensive line, we're starting three backups uh, this year or this week. Uh, and James Hudson at right tackle, Blake Hans at left tackle and Michael Dunn at right guard because of injuries and COVID. And the way you obviously help, you know, backup uh, offensive lineman is giving them tight end help. So if those two guys can come back, that's great because Austin Hooper went on the COVID list and uh, until David Njoku came back an hour ago, Miller Forrestal, who they signed last <laughs> week off the street was the only active tight end on the roster. So um, that's going to be huge. Um, as far as who will take up the slack, I don't know that you can just stick somebody else in there and expect them to do what Jarvis does, but they can mm -hmm. try to piecemeal a uh, control passing game or a short passing game, however you want to ball control passing game, however you want to phrase it with their um, running back room, because to this point, uh, Nick Chubb is still healthy. Dearness Johnson, who's a secret league wide is really good. He's still healthy. And the rookie from UCLA, Demetric Felton, who has practiced all year, both in the running back room and in the slot. Um, those guys can, you know, split those snaps with Kareem Hunt out. Uh, you throw in Andy Janovich as an extra blocker as the fullback. And like I said at the top, if there are no more names added to the COVID list between now and Saturday, and who knows if that'll happen, they have enough to try and piece something together. It's far from ideal, but it's they have enough that they can try to figure it out. Now, whether they will or not is a different story, but 
I guess the short answer, and after my long-winded rambling, mm -hmm. uh, the short answer to your question is there really is nobody to step in and do what uh, Jarvis Landry does um, because he's just so unique in, in, in how he handles the wide receiver position. But they have enough guys that they can piece something together. Uh, it's definitely going to have to be a creative approach this week for sure, though. So you actually brought up the uh, other receiver that I want to talk about, which is Donovan Peoples-Jones. And when all the Odell Beckham uh, drama was going on this season, one of the things that I felt gave the Browns a little bit more leverage or at least made it easier than, for them to move on from OG Bay, OBJ was the uh, emergence of Donovan Peoples-Jones. Maybe we'll call him DPJ just for fun. Why not? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he played well at the end of last season and it's been solid this season. Obviously, DPJ isn't the same as OBJ, but can you tell us about who Peoples-Jones is as a player and how he's doing filling his predecessor role? Yeah, he's um, been a, a super uh, pick, especially for a six-round pick, um, and has al already to this point outperformed his draft slot. Anything you get from a six-round pick, but especially yeah. if he's going to play like this. Uh, now, he has been slowed the past, uh, I don't know, month or so. He tweaked a groin gotcha. and... Um, you know, he's been back playing, but he's obviously not a hundred percent. But he is a height, weight, speed guy that you don't often find. And he's really coming into his own and learned, like I said, learned a lot about how to prepare uh, from Jarvis over the last couple of years. And you can see the growth. Um, there's debate in Cleveland about what his ceiling is. Can he be, you know, a wide receiver one, the guy that carries your room, or is he best suited as a two and they need to go out and find somebody complimentary. Personally, I think he's a, he, he's, his ceiling is a bit a good too. Uh, I would love to be wrong, obviously. Uh, love for him to be a stud, but I think he's a, a wide receiver too. But he is uh, he's big, uh, so in the red zone he's uh, he's good at the uh, the high pointing. Uh, he's a threat, um, you know, in the back corner of the end zone on the fades that fans always hate un until they work. <laughs> yeah. um, he has also learned uh, to separate quickly. Uh, in the red zone, quick slants, that, that sort of thing. And he's also big enough. He's like six, I think he's six, two and a half, two ten, two fifteen, 215, something like that, that if he catches the ball at the three yard line, he's big enough to, you know, put, put his shoulder down and pull through a lot of defensive backs to, you know, get a, get a score a touchdown or, you know, you can just get a first down that, that kind of thing. But he's also much faster than people give him credit for. He doesn't have the explosive out of the block speed that an Anthony Schwartz type guy does. He's a little more build up, but once he gets going, he's a long strider and he kind of glides um, past a lot of people. Uh, um, so yeah, he's going to have to, I, you know, I mean, you never know in a situation like this, but I, if you look at it on paper, he would be the logical choice to step up and be, you know, quote unquote, the guy this week, uh, if they're right. going to have any success in the passing game. But yeah, he's a very exciting young player. And along with Demetric Felton, who I mentioned before, two great sixth round picks from Andrew Barry out of his first two drafts. Definitely. At tight end, uh, you know, we talked about with uh, Austin Hooper and David Njoku coming back. And it sounds like from what I'm, what I'm gathering, I didn't catch this, but it sounds like Hooper is on the on the COVID list right now. As, as he of, is. As yes, right now. he's done. Got it. He's done. Okay. Gotcha. And then, so you mentioned Harrison Bryant, maybe coming back. So I guess, what is it that we can expect from the uh, Browns tight ends this week? Is it going to be Harrison Bryant or Njoku? Is Bryant like ready to step up into that tight end two role that they've, that Cleveland has kind of leaned on for a lot of this year? Yeah, he's uh, Harrison is, you know, he's more of a space tight end, although his blocking, uh, 
blocking. His blocking <laughs> has uh, improved uh, tremendously. But the Browns, as I'm sure you guys know, they run a lot of 12 and a lot of 13 personnel. So mm -hmm. sticking extra tight ends, uh, that's one advantage to the, having offensive line issues is sticking extra tight ends out there isn't right. foreign to them. They're used to it. Um, so, But as far as the tight ends go, you're going to see a lot. If Harrison Bryant comes back, I would expect you'll see him and Njoku on the field, if not the entire game, pretty much the entire game. Um, not only helping in the, in the blocking aspect, because, you know, the best thing for the Browns in this scenario would be to turn around, hand the ball to Nick Chubb and let him do what Nick Chubb does um, for the whole game. That would be great. But as far as the passing game, they, it, they're both interesting. I mean, they're tight ends, so they're not, you know, going to burners, but they're fast for tight ends. So Najoku gets a lot more deep balls than a lot of people uh, would expect. He runs a lot of patterns uh, down the seam, uh, and that sort of thing. Whereas Bryant is, um, and he has a little more speed, I think, than David, but for some reason he's better in the out routes and the flats and, and over the middle and that, that sort of thing. Um, I, I would expect both of them uh, flooding one side, uh, you know, trying to, uh, to, gotcha. you know, con confuse the second level of the defense, get somebody to commit to one of them while the other one, you know, runs naked in the flat, that sort of thing. Um, but as far as your, your defense, I would expect, both of them on the field quite a bit. Both of them probably, I, I mean, I would be shocked if this doesn't happen with a fourth round rookie at right tackle and Blake Hance, who is an absolute warrior, but really is a guard uh, playing left tackle, uh, helping tremendously on uh, Max Crosby and uh, Yannick uh, Ngakwe, because that's, you know, those, those two guys, frankly, terrify me as a Browns fan. Um, so I would expect them to both be helping block those two guys, uh, a, a lot of the game, uh, for the, from the tight end spot. Yeah. I mean, Njoku and, uh, Harrison Brand have kind of been two of my, my tight end crushes over the year, just because Njoku is such a, such a unique freak athlete for the position. And then Harrison mm -hmm. Brand, I mean, I think he was the, he was the Mackey award winner over at Florida Atlantic his senior year. I remember if I remember correctly. So Correct. for the best tight end. Yeah. So a couple of good ones there. And then at running back, obviously Nick Chubb's the lead guy, one of the best running backs in the NFL, but I think kind of everyone knows about Chubb at this point. And I am kind of curious about the, the Kareem Hunt effect a little bit. Kareem Hunt, he's not, I don't believe he's ruled out yet at this point, but he's expected he's to be out for the game. Yeah, he's going to be out for the game. Um, but Dearness Johnson, I, I mean, sure everyone that had him on fantasy a few weeks ago remembers his, uh, his big <laughs> night, I believe, on Thursday night football earlier this season. But I'm curious, can Johnson kind of fill that receiving back role that uh, that Kareem Hunt played, or is that going to maybe fall more on a guy like you've been talking about, Demetri Felton, who has some versatility to play running back and wide receiver? Well, Dearness is an interesting thing because we've known about him in Cleveland for a couple of years now. He came in last year a few times when Nick and Kareem uh, missed games and, you know, had really good games. And we said a year ago uh, on our show, we were like, you know, this guy would be starting or at least sharing you know, in a tandem backfield in probably 25 running back rooms, he's that good. And people laughed at us and I was like, okay, mm -hmm. you know, watch him. He's really, really good. He hasn't been asked to do a lot in the pass catching department, but in his limited opportunities, he's done a good job. So I, I would love to see Dearness get uh, uh, some run, especially in the, in the screen game that Kareem is so good at. Um, that's a huge part of the offense that's been missing most of the year. Uh, Nick and Kareem just can't seem to stay healthy at the same time. It's so frustrating. Um, but uh, I think he can. Demetric Felton, again, even fewer opportunities uh, than Dearness has got. But early in the year, he had a tremendous touchdown against the Texans on a screen game. He's made some great catches 
uh, in his own. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with whether or not Anthony Schwartz comes back, uh, to be gotcha. honest. He's been in concussion protocol for about a month. And without him, you're talking about Donovan Peoples-Jones, Rashard Higgins, and then no disrespect to these guys, but they're practice squad guys. Yeah. And so, I mean, do you want to lean on that in a critical game like this? I, I, I don't know. Or do you want to lean on the strength of your team, which is your or the strength of your skill positions anyway, which is your uh, running back room, even without Kareem Hunt, and maybe throw those guys out there and some kind of, you know, split them out or, or, or you know, put them on the wing or I, I you know, I don't even know. But uh, Dimitri Felton was uh, a wide receiver and then converted to running back and in camp all year. Uh, he was taking uh, reps with the wide receiver back in the summer and the running backs. So he can do it. But again, it's difficult to ask a guy, hey, A, you know, you haven't really done this a lot this year. And B, we have three days of walkthrough because of COVID. OK, now yeah. go start in the slot. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of <laughs> it's kind of hard to ask a rookie to do. Yeah. Um, so if you force me to pick between those two guys, I would say Dearness probably gets more of the run. But. Dimitrik is so shifty in space and show so uh, he's jukey in short areas. Um, I would not be surprised, especially if they can get into the red zone, if there's a package of plays for him to try to get him on a quick bubble screen or something like that. And if he can make one guy miss, you know, in the red zone, that's usually all you have to do. So I, I would think Dearness gets more of the run in that to answer your question, but I wouldn't uh, count out Dimitrik Felton making a, a pretty important uh, contribution at some point if the opportunity arises. And just uh, for everyone listening, a little fun fact about Demetri Felton um, coming from the senior bowl. He spent his entire year playing running back or senior mm -hmm. year, excuse me, playing running back. And then went to the senior bowl, played pretty much exclusively wide receiver, did mix in at some running back a little bit, but ended up winning the, the wide receiver of the week award. Just to give yep. you guys a little bit of an idea how <laughs> how dynamic of an athlete that guy is. That was one of the more impressive things I walked away from Mobile with last year so. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, especially yeah, he, since it's the Browns, we got to talk about the guys up front. And I have to admit to you, between Wyatt Teller, J.C. Treader, and Joe and Joel Blatonio, I don't think there's a better interior offensive line in the NFL, and I don't even think it's really close. Can You could probably make the case that all three of those guys are pro bowlers, maybe even all pros. I don't know if I really have a question here. I'm more just handing out compliments, but I guess, can you kind of touch on what makes those guys so good and how well they work together? Yeah. I, I mean, this is going to sound silly, but they're really good athletes. They work their, their butts off on um, uh, technique and everything. And they're tremendous communicators. Um, that's one of the things uh, having, we can't discount Bill Callahan's influence. He's one of the best in the league uh, on the offensive line. And Bill Callahan is a no, no word over here. Over yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and, and, you know, as a head coach, a different story, but yeah, different. Uh, you know, as an, as an offensive line coach, it's hard to say there's anybody better really. Um, Definitely. You know, Wyatt Teller, what a fifth or sixth round pick. The Browns basically got him for peanuts uh, he yeah. wasn't playing in Buffalo, wasn't doing well. And now he's like the toast of the league. I think he was usually the highest or the second rate guard in the entire NFL last year. None of us saw that coming. 
Um, and also they're just, they're good fits for this system. And that's one thing that during draft season, you hear about it with quarterbacks a lot, but it really matters for everybody at every level, even veterans. It's, it's, it's such a huge thing in the NFL that people don't like to talk about. You can't just pluck a guy off one roster, stick him in a completely different system in another town and expect him to do the exact same things. Their, their skill sets, their athleticism, you know, the ability to all three of them to get out, get around the corner and get to the second level uh, in Kevin Stefanski's system is, you know, a, a huge magnitude of importance and they all have it in spades. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's, they're definitely the strength of the offense. Although if Jedrick Wills and Jack Conklin were healthy, people like to overlook their tackles, but they're both pretty good tackles. I mean, they're not, yeah. You know, I, he's not Joe Thomas, but that's an unfair, you know, comparison mm -hmm. uh, to throw, especially on a young kid like Jedrick Wills. But yeah, definitely up the middle. Uh, uh, clearly the strength of their team. Now, what's going to happen this week? I, who knows? I, I honestly have no idea. I mean, J.C. Treader, uh, absolute warrior, but hardly ever practices uh, because of his knees. Um, and then, you know, you throw the way this season has gone on top of it. And who knows what you're going to get. Uh, you almost always get great from JC, but you know, you never know, especially if he's having to help out Michael Dunn on the right side. Um, I, it's going to be fascinating to see how they adjust their, their blocking schemes this year because, or this week, because of the three, three guys that yeah. you normally wouldn't have out there. One, you know, every NFL team should be able to interchange one, two, you, That's tough. you can get there if you have three great guys like the Browns have in the middle. Three guys, I mean, that's more than half of your offensive line. It's always a challenge. So yeah. um, I don't know if I answered your question or not. I mean, it seems simplistic, but they're just really good at what they do. <laughs> that's oh, Absolutely. I mean, like I said, like, like I said, I don't, don't know how much you can really dive into it. Just, uh, just to put that those guys are just really good. But you did mention, you know, Teller being on COVID. And I forget the name you said that might be filling in for him. But can Michael you touch Dunn. on... Michael Dunn, can you uh, just kind of touch on like what to expect from him? Obviously a step down from Teller, but how is he as a, as a backup? As if we... Well, Michael Dunn and, and Blake Hance are both kind of legends in Cleveland. Um, Blake Hance last year, um, <laughs> we call him some guy named Blake because he, he literally signed on a Saturday before uh, uh, one of the games at the end of the year last year and then started because they were that decimated by COVID wow. and played a great game. And so like Cleveland just loves the guy and Michael Dunn the same way they signed him uh, basically off the street, if I'm not mistaken, either at the end of the year or maybe even the week of the playoff game against the Steelers. And then he had to start and play against uh, Javon Hargrave and Cam Hayward, you know, I, I were just one of the best in the league. And he basically took Cam Hayward out of the game, which you just never see happen ever. So he can do it. I mean, he's, he's more than a capable backup, but he has barely seen the field this year. So anytime you throw a guy in after this long off, you never know what you're going to get, but is he capable of running this system? Yeah, he absolutely is. Will it be a slight fall at, at his best? Will it be a slight fall off from Wyatt Teller? Yeah. But I mean, again, that's kind of unfair. Teller's one of the best right. in the league. So can he do enough to help them win the game? That probably the most important thing for your listeners. Yeah, he can. Will he? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. It's tough. Always uh, replacing, like I said, a potential all pro guy. It's, there's always going to be a little bit of a step down at least sure. for, for sure. Uh, and then at tackle kind of a similar question, obviously, Jan, Jan, excuse me, Jack Conklin has been out for a few weeks now. Jane Houston's been playing and then Jedrick Willis on the COVID list. 
Um, can you talk about Houston a little bit and maybe who's going to be at, at left tackle for Willis? Uh, Blake Hance uh, is expected to be the starter at left tackle. Uh, he has played out right. there. He's played right tackle. Uh, but again, he's a guard. He's, he was never a tackle until this year when they got forced into it by uh, just injury after injury at the tackle position. Um, they lost Chris Hubbard, who was one of the best swing linemen in the league. Uh, like week two, I think, is when he went out. Um, and then Conklin's been out. And, of course, Jedrick Wilt has been battling an ankle injury since the first quarter of week one. So he's been in and out. So basically, he was their fourth tackle. They, they put him in there, and he's you know been doing an admirable job. He's, he's been battling, but you know he's a guard at heart. So it, it's tough. Uh, for him to be able to do that but he'll give everything he has Um, my guess is David Njoku will be on his side quite a bit giving him help Uh, as far as James Hudson the rookie out of uh, Cincinnati a fourth round rookie who I don't think should have slipped to the fourth round uh, to be honest he was he's one of those guys that's drafted with next year in mind he obviously needed you know a a year of in the weight room and to adjust coming from Cincinnati and and you know all the uh, all that kind of stuff but he has, he got his first, I'm sorry, his second start last week after not playing for a while and did an admirable job. 35 pass blocking snaps, did not allow a sack, only allowed one pressure, if I uh, correctly recall. And Bill Callahan has said repeatedly that he has looked good and has been working extremely hard uh, in practice and he's been improving and improving and improving. But he still is a fourth round rookie. So, you know, you put a guy like Crosby or, or Ngakwe across from him who have you know, veteran NFL tricks in their bag, and they're probably mm-hmm. going to get him a couple of times. I mean, that's yeah. just, they get anybody across from them a couple of times. You know, <laughs> those guys are really freaking good. I wanted Crosby so bad during his draft <laughs> year to come to Cleveland. But um, I, the thing about it is with the way the Browns are setting up this week, as we've said a hundred times with all the COVID stuff, they don't have to go out there and dominate. They just got to find a way. Just, just yeah. this week, just do enough that you can eke out a win and then hopefully come out the other side of this COVID thing next week. Um, Cause next week they have to go to green Bay to play the Packers on Christmas Eve. And man, if they've got this same lineup, I'm probably not even going to watch that game. That'll be, <laughs> that'd be ugly, but uh, you know, uh, I would expect the Raiders on paper, as it stands right now, the Raiders biggest area of advantage as far as when the Browns offense is on the field would be those two edge rushers against you know, largely unproven backup tackles. So that would be an area for your listeners to watch and, and expect some success from on Saturday. Yeah, definitely. I definitely, uh, definitely going to agree with you. My only concern is, uh, especially considering the weather and if the, the uh, Browns are going to be down their starting quarterback. I'd imagine they'd be running the ball a little bit more than uh, which is one of the Raiders biggest weaknesses on defense. So we'll see how it plays out. Hopefully they can, uh, get play from ahead a little bit and expose the tackle a little bit, take advantage of that uh, situation, but we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Let's flip sides of the ball real quick. And I want to start talking about the defense and we got to start with the defensive line and the headliner, Miles Garrett. Mm. He's up to 15 sacks on the year. So is Garrett your defensive player of the year winner? And do you think he gets eight more sacks in these, in these uh, or two a game in these last four to surpass Strahan and break the record? Um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, you never know um, in these kind of things. A few weeks ago, I brought it up because he was on pace to not need that. He was on pace to get one a game, and then he won a couple games where gotcha. uh, a, lot, a lot of pressures but couldn't get home. So, you know, you get off the pace like that. But then you throw it like earlier this year against the Bears, he had five in one game. So if he throws one of those games together against somebody along the way, then you, know, you never know. So I don't know. It would be nice. I, I, I'm just thrilled that he's, you know – 
he's an alien, man. He is, <laughs> there is no way that guy is human. You see him with his shirt off and you just go, <laughs> I, yeah. I'm the same species as that guy. And that's where the similarities <laughs> end. Um, but yeah, he's one of those guys that even before they brought in Jadevi and Clowney, every opposing offense for the past three years since he's been here has to, he's, you have to know where he is. I mean, yeah. it, the offense had, okay, where is 95? Okay, we're going to try to scheme away from him as much as we can because he's just that destructive. Um, even if he's not putting up sack numbers, he is constantly in the backfield and messing up timing and rhythm and, and you know, clogging holes and all that kind of stuff. And now this year you throw mostly a healthy Jadevian Clowney on the other side, and the two of them are just destroying offensive lines if they if the browns could get any contribution from their interior defensive line which has been far below what we uh, had all hoped for and kind of expected they would be crushing people on that defensive line at this point um yeah he's uh, I, I i don't know about I, i'm not i don't get into the awards so to answer <laughs> your defensive player gotcha. of the year he's definitely in the running tj watts yeah. having a hell of a year uh you know i mean there's some guys out there having great years um but I, I don't know about that. But I would suggest highly um, that uh, uh, Carr and uh, your left tackle – well, and that's the thing. They move him around a lot. I would say your left tackle, but they <laughs> moved him inside. Uh, with him and Clowney being so versatile, they moved them over guards. Uh, Miles lined up has lined up over center a few times this year because they just try to find the best matchup. So if you have any backups, I, I haven't really looked at your injury situation yet, but if you have guys that shouldn't be in there on the offensive line, expect them to try to find a way to get 95 and 90 lined up over that guy as many times as they possibly can. Well, I've got good news for you, Stephen. The entire Raiders offensive line besides their left tackle is backups, basically. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Their, their left guard, their left guard is uh, John Simpson, who he's been a starter all year, but um, is only starting because Richie Incognito has been out since training camp. Right. Uh, Andre James has been expected to be the center, and he's actually played better. I should give him uh, too much flack. He's played better down the stretch, but was young in the beginning of the year. Right guard is Alex Leatherwood, who was gonna, supposed to play tackle. Um, he just got a, I don't know how much attention you played at PFF grades. He just got a 0, 0.0 pass blocking grade against, uh, against Chris Jones when he's playing. Is that guard. good? No, nah, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> I'm not going to say it's good, but, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know about that one. Well, uh, I don't even know if bad describes that one, but, uh, and then Brandon Parker is just another kind of turnstile out there, backup guy. So. I, that is one thing I'm very worried about. And uh, I do have a tongue in cheek question, but it's actually kind of serious at the same time. Is there any chance that Miles Garrett plays both ways on Saturday? And if he would, <laughs> what position would you put him in on, on offense? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we've been joking about that, too. We're like, you know, uh, let's go uh, full house backfield or like you know, bring, <laughs> bring back the Notre Dame box from the 1920s <laughs> and just run straight ahead, try to get three yards every play, something like that. Um yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's fast enough to do to play tight end. I don't know if he has the hands. Probably fullback, I guess, would be my guess. Um, I, I would – you never know. Maybe like on a goal line situation <laughs> or something like that. But I would yeah. highly doubt that they'd risk that guy, sure. you know, on offense. But, uh, yeah, I, I, if you force me to pick, I'd probably say – Maybe not even true full. Maybe like one of those hybrid fullback tight gotcha. end type guys. That that would be my guess because he's like he's a Kyle so Juchek kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, now again, I don't know if he's got the hands for it. Most of the guys that don't have the hands, that's why they play defense. You know that. But um, <laughs> yeah. he definitely has the athleticism and the and the power for it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, the other guy I want to talk about on the Browns defensive line, you actually been talk- touched on him a little bit. It's Jadavian Clowney, who's kind of had this a little bit of a career resurgence out in Cleveland, had a good year, especially as a pass rusher. Can you talk about, you know, what you've seen from uh, Jadavian Clowney? Uh, I don't know how far you close or how close you followed his career since this is his first year in Cleveland. But I'm just curious if you could compare him to at least what you've heard from uh, his time in Houston and the other stops he's been at to what he's been doing this year. And then I know he's also injured. So I'm just curious if you know anything about his status for the game. Yeah, he's been, you know, just dinged uh, all year. You know, he, he's limited in practice on Wednesday, limited in practice on, on Thursday, practices fully on Friday. That's sort of been the thing. He's got, you know, like a, a, a bruised knee, I think, and, and yeah, they, they say upper body contusion, you know, one of those things where he's just sore, I think. Um, so I would expect, unless there's something in the next couple of days that happens during practice, I don't think there's any danger of him not playing. Um, but as far as what he's been this year as compared to, the, you know, since he came into the league, he's been healthy. I mean, he's been what we all thought he could be if he could stay on the field. And that's what he's done this year. Um, and my, I have some friends in Tennessee that are, that are frustrated. And but then some of them are all also like if you take out the sack numbers, which is the only thing anybody focused on. He really had some good years in Tennessee. He was you know, lead league leader in, in pressures and, and pass rush win rate. And he was always doing his job. He just couldn't get home to the quarterback. Well, now across from miles Garrett, you're getting the second best uh, uh, lineman on the other team. You're not getting double teamed hardly at all because that's all going to miles. And he's so athletic and so explosive. We all have seen him when he's healthy. We know what he's capable of. And so I would say that's just basic. The two biggest differences he's been on the field for, I think he's missed one, maybe two games. So he's been on the field all year and he's got Miles Garrett across from him. That's that's the biggest improvement. He's got, I think, five sacks, but he's winning. His pass rush win rate is, you know, like fifth in the league and Miles is first or second or something like that. So they're really screaming off the edges there. And they're also helped by the fact that unlike last year, the second and third level of the Browns defense is so much better. We haven't talked about uh, JOK at all, but boy, I, I was out of my mind when they stole him in the second round in the draft. And he's been everything we wanted and more uh, as a uh, linebacker hybrid, whatever you want to call him out yeah. there. And then the first round pick Greg Newsom has been uh, Denzel Ward is having a pro bowl level year. And honestly, I think Greg Newsom has had a better year. That's how good wow. they are out there. Greedy Williams has been their third corner has been very good this year. Um, Troy Hill is out. For this week who's really solidified the slot for them so that could be an issue and the safety room especially now that grant delpit is starting to figure it out is starting to play better john johnson has not lived up to his contract but he still makes some good plays every game uh, he's out this week he's on the COVID list uh, ronnie harrison should come back he has been playing better as of late um, but the fact that they have guys out there now who can cover unlike last year when, I mean, in the playoff game, they started a guy named Robert Jackson, who is a great special teams player, but should not be starting in an NFL playoff game at corner. And even though they won the game, Ben torched him. He threw for almost 500 yards. Um, this year, they've got guys who can cover long enough to allow Jadevian and miles and, and, you know, Malik McDowell when he's on his game and all that kind of stuff to get home up front. That's been the biggest help, I think for Jadevian Clowney is the, the Browns second level. And now with Jacob Phillips back, that's something you guys need to watch. They're one of the fastest combination of linebackers in the NFL. JOK obviously is a blur, but people have underestimated how fast Jacob Phillips is. 
and he's back from injury now. So you throw the two of them out there together with two lockdown corners, assuming Greg Newsom comes back from concussion protocol. And that a lot, that is what allows the front of the, the defensive wall to get home uh, as frequently as they has. So I know that Carr, you know, and there's varying opinions and I'm mm-hmm. saying that in the nicest way possible from, uh, <laughs> from Raider fans there, there's, there's a few of, you know, there's some strongly held opinions on him one way or the other, yeah. let's just say. Uh, but like one you of said, things, everybody's favorite player is the backup quarterback. So always is everybody's favorite player right now. <laughs> always. But one of the things that he is good at when he is playing well, and correct me if I'm wrong, is identifying the quick, you know, short pass, identifying the blitz and getting the ball into the void. He can he's good Definitely. at those short passes. And so if the Browns are bringing pressure and they're not, you know, they slip up in coverage, he is the exact kind of quarterback that can take advantage of that. So. Um, that's something I would watch, uh, if I was you guys, if he, the matchup between him identifying, uh, where the pressure is coming from and trying to throw it into the void and can our linebackers get into that void and step into the throwing lane quickly enough. I think that's going to be a very important thing when the Raiders offense is on the field. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. Like one of Derek Carr's probably, probably his biggest strength to be honest with you is when teams blitz him and he's able to attack and get the ball out of his hands quickly and attack those voids. That's definitely one of his biggest strengths. So kind of the uh, the trend we've been seeing over the last few years really is just sitting back in coverage and kind of letting pressure get there with your front four, which unfortunately is happening a little bit too often this year with the Raiders. And the Browns do that a lot. They do not yeah. blitz very much. They, they, gotcha. they are one of the lower blitzing teams. They can do it. Uh, and when they do it, you know, guys like JOK and Grant Delbert and Denzel Ward are very sneaky at their timing. They're really good at it. But as everyone who watches the NFL knows, any defensive coordinator will tell you, if I could get home, consistently with just four and not have to blitz and drop seven guys into coverage. That's great. I mean, and that's what they do most of the time. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, They just had a couple of their interior defensive linemen go on the COVID list today. So they could have to juggle some things there. So I don't know, as we, as we said at the top, and I've been saying the whole, uh, the whole time here, we're recording this on Wednesday and by Saturday, everything (laughs) we said could be obsolete. So we have no idea. (laughs) Definitely. Well, the other guy I wanted to talk about, the next guy I want to talk about, is that one you actually just brought up, which is the Joker. And I, I, it's funny, one of my questions was actually, how happy are you that the, the, he fell into the Browns' lap in the second round, which you uh, obviously touched on. But I'm just curious, you know, can you give us kind of a, another synopsis of what he brings to the table as, as a linebacker? Um, one of the fastest downhill, when he sees it, you know, when he reads it and he knows where something is going and he recognizes, you know, whether it's a swing pass or, you know, a pitch sweep, whatever it happens to be, he's a blur. He is so fast. Um, he's a little smaller. He's one of the modern NFL linebackers, if, if I can use that phrase that's been overused. Um, he's, I think he's only about 215, 220 pounds. So if a big tackle gets into him, which he's very good at avoiding, but if a big tackle gets into him, there's not a ton he can do about it. But when he sees it, he is so fat and he's incredibly smart. Uh, If he was not a rookie, I think he would be the green dot die green dot guy for the Browns defense. I think he will 100% be the green dot guy next year. I would be shocked if it's anybody else next year, to be quite honest with you, he could do it right now, but I just don't think they want to give, that kind of responsibility to a guy who's a rookie. That's why they brought in uh, Anthony Walker, who's also very smart. Um, extremely smart, recognizes stuff, studies film like a maniac. You will see him call out opposing plays 
and you'll watch the all 22 and go, okay, he knew that was coming. He's either the fastest human or live, or he knew that yeah. that was coming. Um, tremendous coverage uh, in the slot. He can help erase most tight ends. He can even, even cover some slot wide receivers if they're not the speedy kind. Um, he, he's good at that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and like I said, as far as a, a blitzer or getting to the, to, uh, the quarterback, the delayed blitz, he's so good at timing it and hiding it. And he's even got some moves, and he showed this at Notre Dame, that if they want to bring him in as a fifth edge rusher, he's got, you know, a, a push or, um, I'm sorry, a rip and a, and a duck. He can duck under. He's got some edge rusher type moves that you don't normally see from a linebacker. So uh, he brings pretty much anything you want to do. And then, of course, you know, he can drop in and play some safety in certain looks if he wants yep. to. So he again, he's another guy that you kind of got to account for him, especially in the passing game, because he's he can cover so much green. Uh, great ball skills. And uh, if he gets his hands on the ball, he's got great hands too. Yeah. I think you kind of touched on it, but one of the things I've always been just amazed with by him is his ability to like duck under. I don't even know if it's a, there's a technical term for it, but to like duck under offensive linemen and avoid mm-hmm. blocks. Like I, I think there was one play this year where he like went into a full baseball slide and went up and popped up and made the tackle to avoid a block. It's impressive how good he is at avoiding blocks yeah he's uh and uh one of our guys said this this week and it's you know obviously it's a it's simply a comparison in styles but the way people have always said lamar jackson's gonna get hit lamar jackson's gonna get hit. well he's good at avoiding big hits yeah. you know? he just he knows how to contort himself you know so he, you rarely see him get just decked you know and jok has a similar thing with blockers in that like i said if somebody if some big six, seven, 340 pound tackle gets his hands on him, it's over. I mean, that's just physics, but they rarely do because he's, he's so fast and it's part of the, uh, he's agile and he's flexible. He, he can bend in a way that a lot of linebackers can't. And like I said, he studies film. So he knows what the opposing linemen, how they like to, to approach blocks and approach how they're going to try to get their hands on. He knows how that six, seven, 340 pound tackle is going to try to get his hands on him. And so he counters it. He practices it during the week, how to avoid those kind of things. He's, he's incredibly smart. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's another thing, especially if you guys have as many backup linemen, as you're saying, uh, I, I would expect them to try to take advantage of that because he can, he can make offensive linemen look silly. Gotcha. Well, let's talk about the Browns corners, which I think is another really impressive group. You brought up Denzel Ward, who's I, if he's not, hasn't been in the Pro Bowl before, he, like you said, he's probably going to be there again this year. Um, you know, I'm just curious, obviously he's highly touted. Is there a, is there a type of receiver? Is there a, maybe like a double move or anything like that, that he kind of has like a, a little bit of a weakness in covering, or has he just kind of been the all around stud shutdown corner? He is pretty much a stud shutdown corner, except when it comes to size. If you guys have, um, you know, a uh, and I'm going to say a name that has been ridiculed for the past week with good reason, but I'm talking about it from a size, uh, weight, speed perspective. If you have a Chase Claypool type on your roster, you want to put him on Denzel because he's 5'11", I think, you know, they call him 185. Uh, you know, I, no disrespect. He's bigger than me, but I, I think he's 185, you know, soaking wet with a pocket full of nickels. So he can be bodied uh, on occasion by bigger guys. And that's why they try really hard not to get him on a tight end or, you know, allow the offense to switch to get him in an unfavorable matchup. But if it's just a regular size guy, I mean, yeah, he can occasionally be beaten on, you know, this or that or whatever. He's not perfect. Nobody is, but uh, there's no, 
consistent weakness in his game. Uh, if that's what you're asking, the guy is just, just a shutdown. I mean, he's just a shutdown when he's right. And he's been healthy for most of the year this year, which isn't, that's been the biggest knock on him is he's missed three or four games every year and why he might not get, he's going to get an extension, but he might not get like a reset the market type extension. Um, mm -hmm. But other than that, no, there's really no weaknesses in Denzel Ward's game. Yeah, I think the you mentioned that the, the first guy that comes to mind is for the Raiders. Any solution is going to be Dar is going to be Darren Waller, but sure. he's, uh, he might not play. Hasn't played the last two weeks. The other guy that I can only think of that really fits the description that could give him trouble would be Brian Edwards. Um, Brian Edwards has struggled to separate this year, but again, if he's he's I think he's about six three, two twenty five, something like that. So if he can just uh, you know body him out and win those yeah. contested catches, which is where he made his money in college, which we haven't really seen in the NFL so too much yet, when maybe that could be a matchup to watch out for, but I just sure. want to ask you too about uh, Greg Newsom. I know you touched on him a little bit too, and I know mm -hmm. he's getting out of concussion protocol. Has there been uh, any sort of learning curve um, as a rookie or has he kind of been as advertising as stout as he, we thought he'd be? Incredibly there. We all thought, especially opening week against a, an offense like the chiefs, we were like, okay, you know, everybody just calm down. It's probably going to be bad today. He's a rookie. <laughs> They're the Chiefs. You know, the fat Patrick Mahomes, blah, blah. He's going to pick on the rookie. And they tried. Uh, and, you know, he's, you know, he's given some stuff up. He's a rookie. But for the most part, no, he has been everything and more. Um, like I said, I honestly think he's had as good a year, if not a better year, uh, than Denzel Ward has. And that is saying something. Um, incredibly just full Cleveland luck. I don't know if you know how he got into concussion protocol. The last play of the practice of practice last Friday uh, before the game, he, it wasn't, he didn't even get hit. He, he slipped, fell down, hit his head and oh. went into percussion, concussion protocol and still hasn't come out. I mean, it's just full Cleveland, you know, uh, it, yeah. if, if it's bad, it will happen to Cleveland. I guarantee it. Um, but when he is healthy, um, yeah, I mean, they're at a point now where for the next few years, while he's on his rookie contract, it's a it's a luxury uh, for their defensive coordinator, uh, whether it's Joe Woods next year or not, in that anytime you have two shutdown corners, it opens up so many possibilities for the rest of your coverage unit and your pass rush unit. So now Greg, Greg uh, Newsom and I don't think any of us we knew he was their target heading up to the draft. But sitting at 26 where the Browns were, I didn't think he, that he was going to make. I thought there was no chance that he was going to be there at 26. And when he, as soon as he got back to pass the Titans, I said, that's it. That's the pick. It's over. He's been everything as advertised and more. <laughs> wow. Good to hear. The other guy I really want, or the other guy you brought up that I want to talk about was Greedy Williams. Um, I was really high on him coming out of LSU. And so I'm happy to see that he's finally playing well. What's been the biggest difference that you've noticed about him compared to his rookie year? Um, is it just a matter of he's finally getting healthy? Because I know he missed all of last year, too. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I think that's it. I think I think he got – if you remember his draft cycle, he was like, you know, one of those guys who's uh, locked to go in the top ten at the beginning of the season, yeah. and then he ended up falling to the second round. So I think he was a victim of expectations. I don't think he was ever that guy personally. I think he's a solid number two corner. I just don't think he's – I don't think he's ever going to be that guy. You know, there's never going to be greedy Island, you know, or something like that. Um, but yeah, that's the biggest thing. Last year, obviously he missed the entire year with the nerve issue in his shoulder. And people don't remember the rookie year, uh, which was the Freddie kitchens year, which we just kind of throw out, you know, because it was just, 
We knew it was bad while it was going on. And the stories we heard coming out of the locker room after the season, it was a just a nightmare. It had no chance. But during that year, at throw on top of all that, he hurt his hamstring the week before opening uh, day and fought it all year, you know. Um, and so he's never been healthy. This is the first year that he's been healthy in his third year in the league. So he's basically a third-year rookie for all intents and purposes. So and I think having Denzel and then Greg Newsom there has helped him in that regard because he's been able to you know, not have that kind of pressure. He can come in and be the number two, be the number three, move him around. Uh, and when he has played, for the most part, he has played very well. Uh, whether he gets an extension after next year or not, I, I can't say. It's going to come down to the cap and who else they want to keep and, and all that kind of stuff. And what happens with Baker, obviously, is a huge domino to fall as far as money goes. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think it, to short answer to your question, the biggest difference between this year and his first two years is that he's been out there for almost the whole year. I mean, he just was never a healthy young man until this year. And I, I'm so happy for him because he took a lot of crap from parts of the fan base that, you know, and I'm sure they're there in, in Raider land too. They get mad at guys who are injured, which I just don't understand. <laughs> yeah, no, they're definitely out there, but uh, I'm with you on that part. With uh, Troy Hill out, is there any chance that Greedy Williams might play in the slot a little bit, or do they keep him on the outside? I haven't seen him play in the slot too much. I know Greg Newsom has gotten a lot of reps in the slot. Um, but again, uh, you know, with their safety situation, Ronnie Harrison was out last week. If he does not come back, and we know John Johnson is out because he just went on the COVID list today, I, I don't know what else – they, they might do. And now AJ green is out there and he has played well as a fourth corner, the undrafted free agent from last year out of Oklahoma state. He's played very well as a fourth slash fifth corner. Uh, but he has also mostly been on the outside. So my guess uh, if they're going to use corners to do it would be that Greg Newsom probably goes uh, over the middle or they try to hodgepodge it together. But ultimately what they probably want to do is have either JOK or Jacob Phillips uh, handle those. And then hopefully Ronnie Harrison comes back because he handles a lot of tight ends in the slots as well. He does his best work uh, from the safety position down closer to the, to the line of scrimmage. That's where he thrives. So hopefully they can get him back. Gotcha. We brought up John Johnson and I know he's in the COVID protocol, but he's someone that the Browns actually competed with the Raiders uh, this off season in the free agent market for. So I definitely am curious to see how he's been doing and if there's any little buyers remorse with John Johnson. Um, not from me, um, because, you know, it's only one year, uh, and something's going on. I don't know what it is, but the answer that, so the answer to the second part of your question, not from me, there's no buyer's remorse because I fully expect him to bounce back and, uh, he's played better lately. Um, but for the most part, no, he has not lived up to the expectations. Uh, he has not been the same guy. Um, and we don't know much like I said earlier with the offense, some of the issues earlier in the year on defense, a lot of guys were out with injuries. There was communication problems. Uh, the green dot kept coming in and out because of injuries here and there. And so he had to take over that role for a few games. And so I, it's one of those things you can't really pin it on any one thing, at least not that I can see unless he's hiding some kind of injury or something like that, but I would expect him to come back next year. Um, there has been talk that, you know, oh, he was overvalued. It was a huge blunder by Andrew Barry. And I was like, okay, if we were the only people offering him a giant contract, I could get with that. But everybody, like, like you know, uh, national people were like, that's the free agent signing of the offseason. One of the best signings. You know, what a steal. So it wasn't just us that thought that. So 
sometimes it just happens. Like I said, sometimes guys just have bad years. And so I hope that he can come back from it next year or, you know, the end of this year uh, when he comes back from COVID, but no, it's, it's, it has not been the, the signing that we all had hoped uh, when he signed on the first day of free agency back in March. Gotcha. We'll always wrap these podcasts up by talking about the head coach. So I'm curious for your thoughts on Kevin Stefanski, because I think he's done a pretty good job out there in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. Uh, the kind of guy that you need through what has been, I mean, he's basically coached in COVID since he got to Cleveland. I mean, it's been right, the yeah. weirdest two <laughs> years in the NFL that I can remember. And I'm an old dude, so I remember <laughs> a lot. Um, but he's very calm. He does not get ruffled. Uh, he's very measured. He's flatline almost. A lot of the local media um, is bothered by him because if you ever watched one of his pressers, it's all coach speak. And, and I love that. Why give anything away? I mean, Bill mm-hmm. Belichick has yeah. been a coach speak guy for 30 years. I'm not telling you guys squat, you know, I mean, that's, yeah. that's what I want <laughs> from my head coach, but you know, the media gets angry at him because they're trying to write stories. Right. Um, but um, very measured, very calm, very direct, very supportive of his players. When things go poorly, he always says, that's on me. I got to do a better job. Like he deflects the blame away from his players. Even when it's clear that it's not his fault, he still does that. And when things go well, he refuses to accept any of the praise. He always said, well, you know, with that gave credit to the players. They went out and executed, you know, that's, and that's what you want in a leader. That's what a leader does, you know, uh, protect your guys and then let them have the glory when they deserve it. And as far as, you know, there are people asking, you know, where is the play calling gone? Where is the, you know, the, well, okay. First of all, like we've been talking about the whole time, so many lineup changes, the wide receiver room has fallen far short of expectations this year. Um, and then it's funny to me because in the Baker Mayfield discourse, people will say things like, well, you know, he's missing these wide open guys. He's missing these wide open guys. And then the next sentence they say is, well, we got to call better plays. <laughs> well, if guys are wide open, what, there's nothing wrong with the play. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, the, it's the execution. <laughs> you know, it's one or the other. It can't be both. Um, and so I think it's, I mean, it's the same offense that last year lit the league on fire and broke the playoff streak and, and everything else. You know, it's, he's the same guy. They're just seven and six instead of 10 and three. You know, that's, that's the difference. So, I mean, there's always a, Unless you're 13 and one, there is always a part of your fan base that wants to fire everybody. I mean, that's just life in the NFL, but I, I'm not even remotely close to that. I think he's done a fine job. I think he's the guy for this town. Um, and I look forward to him being here for a long time. Definitely. I'm hundred percent on board with you. And one of the things I've always uh, looked for in a leader that you're talking about is, you know, you take all the blame and none of the credit. So that's yep. awesome to hear about him. The one thing I did want to ask you about, and I think you kind of touched on a little bit, is how do you think he handled that whole OBJ drama as the team's leader? I, it's such a weird situation because you don't know what's true and what's not. Uh, it was so bizarre. It was so strange, such a weird situation. And, you know, afterwards, then we heard reports that, you know, that's why he didn't play the first two weeks because he was trying to get him to trade him then. And, you know, this and that. I mean, and I have no idea. None of us knows. Only there's like four guys in the world and, and they're all in that locker room that actually know the truth of all that stuff. But as far as how he handled it publicly uh, with the media, again, I think he handled it the only way he could. People were, you know, they kept saying, uh, well, I want to hear more from 
Stefanski, why isn't he addressed? What do you want him to say? You, you want him to come out in a press conference, your head coach, and go, man, it's a, it's a, pardon my language, it's a shit show back here. You know, what, what do you expect him to say? Of course, he's going to say we're keeping it in house and we're doing what's best for the team. And that's, that's how you do it. That, that, that's what you say. Now, as far as was he being utilized properly and was he freelancing routes and is that why? And I can't say anything. I have no idea. I'm not in that locker room and I don't like to speculate on things like that. But I think, and there's also been a school of thought, well, why did they run it back? Why didn't they bring back? Why didn't they trade him? Why didn't they, you know, why did they even try? Well, if you think back to the off season, he is coming off an ACL. Um, was not didn't have the best year and a half coming off of that, and his contract this year was almost eighteen million dollars. So you add all those things together, who was going to trade for him? The, the front office was really kind of hamstrung as far as the wide receiver room coming into this season because you had eighteen million there, you had fifteen million for Jarvis. There were untradeable contracts, so they really had no choice but to run it back with those two guys for this year and hope that you got, you know, Odell to be old Odell for, you know, 10, 12 games. And then maybe you get something for him this coming off. season. it didn't happen. It, it went yeah. bad, but they really had no choice, but to, to handle it the way they did there, there was no other option. Um, this year, I'm curious to see what they do in the wide receiver room, but as far as how Kevin handled, I think he did the best that he could under the circumstances. And, yeah. you know, I mean, we'll see, it just didn't work here. I wanted it to, it just didn't for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah, that was always the weirdest situation. It was like Odell Beckham's dad is, you know, basically oh. trashing Baker Mayfield on social media. I'm like, this is like high school level stuff. Like, I've never heard of this in the NFL right here or even in college football, let alone as a professional. Your dad's like doing your dirty work for you. Very, very interesting uh, dynamic that was going on. It was on a there. weird week around here. Let me tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Well, Stephen, thanks again for coming on. Real quick, one more time, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, no problem, man. Anytime. Uh, love, uh, uh, had a good time. Love talking ball with you. Um, uh, at Browns mock draft on Twitter at Browns mock draft. And then uh, if you want to read my stuff, um, you know, uh, my mom and seven of my friends generally <laughs> read my stuff. Uh, you can find it at the OBR.com. And uh, you know, uh, hopefully at least some of this is still relevant by the time you, you drop <laughs> this podcast and <laughs> the yeah. way things are changing, who knows, but uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on. No problem. Thanks again for coming on, Stephen. Everyone, make sure you go give him a follow. Great follow during draft season. Other than that, you guys know where to find me, Adam Holder 95 on Twitter. Follow Silver and Black Pride. And until next week, guys.